good, all good. Yeah, so um, we have been going through a series um, every Friday, uh, which is, is it's a series in a series. So we have a series called Issues Affecting the Church Today. And within that series, we've got what we call misapplied or misinterpreted and misapplied verses in the scriptures. And simply, this is an important uh, sort of exercise uh, because it is, it is an opportunity to address errors which may occur uh, uh, because of scriptural interpretation of or misapplying or mishandling the scriptures. Because, let's be honest, how many times, uh, let's say maybe when we were uh, i'm assuming every each and every one of us is a christian here uh when we were young christians would we take a verse out of context how many times would we open our the word of god and and say i want the, i want god to speak to me today so whichever verse i open god has spoken to me um uh, and so just to see uh how, uh, you know, the erroneous ways some of us uh, were involved uh, in, in interpreting the scriptures in our former years when we're still young in the Lord. And also it is a, it is a tool, I believe, of evangelism. So, for example, if you meet someone who does, who maybe uh, is from a church that uh, misquotes scripture, you can then align Oh, uh, uh, align them with scripture and actually say no this is actually what the scriptures teach not what you're saying because misunderstandings of scripture uh, mis and misapplying it uh, can cause serious serious problems in the life of a believer and even to unbelievers who may be confused as to what the word of God is actually saying so today we'll be in Matthew chapter 18 verse 20 Matthew chapter 18 verse 20, if, if, if you've got your Bibles there, I'll give us a, a, um, a few moments to turn there. And what I'll do is I'll read from verse 15 to get a context. Uh, and I'll end with uh, verse 20, which will be our text for today. But what we usually do is read the text and probably give a background to what was happening so that we can actually get the context and get to a place whereby we actually can apply the scriptures to our situation or situations. Matthew 18 verse 15. And this is the word of God coming to you. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if, and if he refuses to, to, to listen even to the church, 
Let him uh, be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if, you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So that's the text for today. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I'm sure you've been to uh, prayer meetings uh, where, you know, even the one who's leading prayer can open in, uh, in, this, in this manner. Uh, Lord, uh, where your word says, uh, where two or three are gathered, there you are with us in your name. Or even maybe some people who might use it for a church that is struggling with attendance, low attendance. So this is how the pastor or the leader will motivate people. Uh, the congregants, he will say something like this. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there is the Lord amongst us. So let us press on with the work. Forget about those who are not coming. And while this, this is true, that God, because there is a truthfulness in it, that uh, where two or, 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 or three are gathered, or even you as a child of God, listen to the distinction and the, and the exclusivity that, you know, as a child of God, God's presence does not leave you. As a child of God, God is there with you through his spirit. So God is there with us, even we, if we are four Christians, five Christians, six Christians, or whatever, etc., etc. But... The error in this is that it, it creates some, some theological problems, one, and some interpretation uh, problems, just misapplying the text. And thus, you get such prayers when you actually miss the context. Now, whenever we read the scriptures, we need to get the context. We need to get who was writing this why was it written, to whom it was written, and what was happening at that time it was written. And a simple definition of context is the circumstances that form the setting of an event, statement, or idea, and in terms which it can be fully understood. So, when we look at this text, there is a context. There was something that was happening for this to be written, and, and there was an occasion there. But first of all, uh, before I get there, I want, I want us uh, to look at ways this scripture can be, uh, can be stretched. And the first one is the, uh, the, the same example I used of when a church uh, has a low attendance 
in a worship service or even during a prayer meeting when people are praying etc etc <clears throat> and this can even be used as a justification for skipping church you know where two or three are gathered there he is amongst us so you can go to a baseball game and you're with your wife and maybe you're with someone else who's a Christian and maybe you've absconded the gathering of the saints and you know you're supposed to be with the other saints but you're there in a football game or you're doing other things that have got nothing to do with the gathering of the saints, the ecclesia, and then you use this text to justify it. So, brother or sister, where were you today? Ah, friend, where two or three are gathered. There he is amongst us. There is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and, and you even get some of these people who go to the extent of saying, uh, for example, in this time of coronavirus, where, you know, when you have a discussion about, you know, churches not meeting, etc., etc., someone can say, no, you are a church in yourself. God is in your heart. Haven't you heard if you're gathered, if you're gathered with your wife, where two or three are gathered, there he is. Uh, with you and and that's true but that is a misapplication of scripture it, it is not understanding what exactly was going on or what exactly uh this uh passage means and so it creates misconceptions uh, you have uh, you have the world not knowing what the what the church of the lord jesus christ means and therefore they can justify, uh, they, they, they can justify, uh, you know, these lockdowns and whatever and say, oh, yeah, church, you, you are the church and church is in your heart. God is in your heart or whatever, etc., etc. Or you can even have Christians who are also there, you know, rallying up against this and saying, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name. And also the other misconception is that maybe, you know, you can't pray alone. You can't approach God on your own. Well, that would be a massive contra uh, contradiction because uh, when Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, in the first major discourse um, in, the, in the gospel according to Matthew, he does say, you know, when you're praying, go and shut your door uh, behind you and pray uh, to your father who hears you in secret and he will reward you a and definitely it 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 also contradicts the whole teaching of um that christians uh we we are we are we are a, a priesthood um a, a royal priesthood in other words we can now uh, approach god through the lord jesus christ we don't need uh, any any other human mediators no, no one can no one can claim uh monopoly over you over your prayer life so so that can actually be a, a, a problem and 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 it also is a theological problem in that god actually listens to our prayers if we are his children whether we are alone or with others so being with others does not increase the chance that he will hear and respond to our prayers. God answers our prayers based on the fact that he is God, he is faithful, and we are his children. Whether we are alone 
or whether we are <laughs> we are with other people, whether it's an all-night prayer, whether you pray for a week straight, it simply doesn't change the fact that God is the one that answers prayer and you know you don't have to be <laughs> in a group or for him to answer your prayers. Alright. So when you look at Matthew chapter 18, um, the heading there, chapter 18, verse 15 to 20, is this. It is, if your brother sins against you. So definitely that should jump up at you and, and, and cause you to stand up. And say, so, so, so what was going on? What, what was happening here? And Matthew's, ori uh, Matthew's original audience in the whole context of the gospel according to Matthew was mostly Jews and you know Jew Jewish believers and some Gentiles, um, and this gospel was it was basically an evangelistic tool uh, for Jews who did not yet believe, um, as well as good news for the Gentiles who did not believe. Um, the Gentiles who now uh, were drawn closer, who beforehand did not have the oracles. Or the statutes of God, and and when, basically the the gospel according to Matthew, which is written by Matthew himself, um, has got five discourses. The whole book has got five discourses. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount, from chapter five to uh, chapter seven. The second one is the uh, uh, chapter ten, which talks about the Great Commission. Uh, well, sorry, not the Great Commission, the First Commission where Jesus sent his uh, first few disciples uh, and others um, to go to only the house of Israel, not to go beyond that. And in chapter 13, uh, you see that's the third main one, which talks about parables. Uh, you know, parables, a heavenly story, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, etc., etc., um, and also, here in chapter 18 is the fourth greatest, the great discourse. Uh, and this is, chapter 18 is about how the disciples were going to live after Christ had ascended into heaven. And in, in, in anticipation of uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how were they going to live with one another? How were, go how were they going to live in God's kingdom with one another in the church? And the last discourse, major discourses, are the end times, the coming of the kingdom of God and the Great Commission, obviously, in chapter 28. So I think the most famous passage in, 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 in the gospel according to Matthew is uh, the Great Commission. But anyway, that is the discourse that comes uh, last. So um, I, I'm going to do like a small exposition uh, of uh, Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 to 20 and see what it is about. But basically, in its, in its basic uh, definition, this is about church discipline. Look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
So this is, and and we, and we learn a lesson here, friends, about how the church of God should work. We are not to be uh, tattletales or you know spreading uh, other people, uh, you know, other Christians' sin all over the table, you know, uh, or even you know telling uh, gossiping about other people's sins and transgressions, other Christians' sins and transgressions to other believers without first going to that person. So if a brother or sister sins against you, you ought to go to him or her and tell them their fault. So this is not supposed to be splashed out and it's daily news on the front pages of, of the newspaper that so-and-so was caught drinking. Oh man, that brother, ish, he was drinking. You know, I've always suspected, you know, every time, you know, they, they, I've got a feeling and I've always suspected that he drinks and, and finally I caught him, he drinks. That's not what Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples here as the first step of biblical church discipline which is by nature restorative first and then lastly restrictive so if your brother sins against you go and tell him uh, his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother there's no reason to be afraid he has confessed yes thank you so much i'm a sinner i've sinned against you this way i've been eating pork or whatever and you know you're stumbled by pork so I, i'm sorry I, I won't do it you know that kind of thing look at verse 16 but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you now this is where the rubber hits the road if you are approaching a brother or sister in the lord and they are in sin and you know and, and i do think that to a certain extent a lot of churches uh a lot of individuals in churches a lot of christians do not know how to apply or yeah apply the matthew 18 route you know they they somehow uh, maybe may, they may do the first part and then they uh, totally neglect the other parts or they may just skip uh, <laughs> skip the first part and jump straight into the second one and bring a whole group of people to your house without even having come to uh, uh, speak to you. But here we see that this person, after having hit a brick wall, after having failed, will now bring one or two others. So that is when it becomes a group, when, when they bring one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the scriptures teach that when there is an accusation, a judicial accusation against someone, there should be witnesses. If there are no witnesses, 
we are not obligated to believe you. That is that is scriptural teaching. Um, I'll, I'll turn to First uh, Timothy, chapter five, verse nineteen, <coughs> which reads, "Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses." And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was quoting the Old Testament. So it would be a disservice of us not to see what he was talking about or what he was quoting. Deuteronomy chapter 19. And I'll read from verse 15. And you can read that whole discourse later on in your own spare time. It says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person. For any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And, and really this is not to say uh, that these witnesses are witnesses of the sin per se. But they are witnesses of the fact that that person is refusing to repent. That person is being stiff-necked. That person is refusing to, to leave his life of sin, to forsake debauchery, and to turn to Christ. Let's go on. Verse uh, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, this is when, uh, and, and, and we always talk about this, to say, when somebody gets excommunicated in a true, sound, biblical church, not just these churches that practice their own church discipline and do their own thing, because some churches can even, you know, one person can even say, uh, the elder can even have an accusation against you and have the power to excommunicate you without witnesses. Now, we see here that when, when excommunication takes place, every measure possible that was established by the Lord Jesus Christ has you know has failed okay so there are stages you know you go on your own the person is not repenting you go and tell to, you bring one or two uh, other witnesses you say oh this is what is happening and this person is not, is not repenting you go and tell the person their sin <clears throat> and if you so someone can be so stiff-necked in their sin that they can even Blow away all efforts of correction and love. Because when you think about it, when brethren come to you and are concerned about the way you're living, it's love. You know, all these churches that teach about grace, 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 love, 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 they don't practice biblical church, government, uh, church discipline. 
And so sin is swept under the carpet and, and everything is swept under the carpet and, you know, it grows, 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 grows and ends up devouring the church. So, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, this is the last possible. So, let me give you an example. Say, for instance, in a, an elder-led church. The elders go to that person. The elder goes to that person and refuses. Uh, he brings one or two other witnesses, which are not necessarily elders. And they refuse to repent. And then he takes it to the church, which is the congregation, and says... This is what we this is what we have been working in the background with this brother or sister and they're not repenting and this is what we have come to what do you all say and then the church will have a back and forth so what do they do oh what etc etc et um you know where is the evidence and the evidence is there it's, it's damningly there there's overwhelming evidence and that person is still saying, nah, 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 I, I, I'm not admitting my wrong. This is, you guys are just bigots. Uh, it was just a mistake. I just impregnated it twice. That's all. You know, these things happen, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, you, all that stuff. You, you know how, how, how those things go. <coughs> Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So in other words, you know, Gentiles and tax collectors, tax collectors were much, much uh, hated in those times because they were said to be siphoning people off their money and demanding too much taxes. And Gentiles were those people who were not part of God's covenant uh, people in the beginning. So they were just outside, uh, you know, the worship uh, courts. You know, they, 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 they were not brought uh, closer. They, they were not part of the people whom God dealt with in the, in the Old Testament. And he says, so treat them like that. And now, someone may come and say, this is unloving. But then this has been laid out by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is to say to you, that once you have been put out there, you may come to a realization that I have done a disservice to God. I, 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 I'm in sin. I, I, I have brought shame upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus repent and go back and be restored. So church discipline in that sense is restorative. It, any sort of discipline, that's the principle, any sort of discipline should be restorative. When you have a child and the child is being naughty and you smack him with a whip, that, that in itself should be restorative. Now, when it goes beyond, you know, be, when you now bash the child to a pulp, that, that is not uh, discipline. Um, almost on the brink of death, that is not, that is not discipline. Um, that is... That is uh, <laughs> <laughs> premeditated murder um so um w w so 
Yeah, so let, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. So that's the first part of, 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 church, of excommunication. The other part of excommunication is to actually purge evil. Now, what is purging evil? You are getting rid of evil. God's uh, church, whom the head is the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are the bride of Christ. We are to be holy. We are to be set apart. In fact, we are to be a repenting people, a people who just depend on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and really do not count their righteousness as something to be held. They have no righteousness. The righteousness that they cling on to is the righteousness of Christ. And when somebody sins and does not repent, they are saying they don't need the righteousness of Christ. And thus, excommunication takes place, you know. So in congregational-led churches, the congregation is so much involved, even in the excommunication process, in the, in, in the elder-led churches, the elders are the ones that are involved in the excommunication places. Uh, yeah, excommunication uh, cases. So, verse 18, this is the word of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly, I say to you, who, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. <coughs> and w when you look at... Uh, Matthew chapter 16, when Peter was confessing, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, or yes, as, as Christos, uh, Jesus asked him, so, you know, um, in verse 13, who, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, you know, they gave him different answers. Some say uh, John, some say uh, uh, John, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, etc. You're one of the prophets. And, you know, Simon uh, Petros said, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus then says, blessed are you, son Simon Barjona. For, you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell nobody. So this metaphor to say, I have given you the keys of the kingdom, just simply says about the apostles, that the apostles are, were foundational uh, in, the, in the establishment of the church. The apostles were, you know, they preached the gospel and, and people got saved. In, this, in, in a sense, 
they were the custodians. They were given uh, responsibility to, 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 to um, you know, bind and loose. And whatever was bound or loosed was recorded in heaven. So what Jesus is saying here is that, uh, and I'll apply to our context, is that whatever the church that is truly following the precepts of Christ Whatever it binds here on earth, specifically to church discipline in this context, will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, for example, when a brother is excommunicated, that church that has done everything that they're supposed to do, they have the blessing of God. They have the blessing of Christ himself. And, what, and, and when that brother, whatever is bound, whatever is loosed, when that brother or sister is, uh, you know, welcome back to fellowship, uh, you know, um, accepted into membership once again and given uh, responsibility in the church, you can serve, you can, uh, you know, treat them as a brother now. They are your brother. They've, they've repented. That is also recorded in heaven and, it's, and, and, and the blessing has been given on that by God himself. And verse 19, again, this is a repetition. Or not so a repetition, but a, an elaboration. The Lord Jesus Christ is going on. He's saying again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, so... So here, this is, the, this is in the context of, of the local church, the context of church discipline. The context of church discipline says, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So if this is agreed upon, it, it's not limited to two. It can be more. Because remember, in the beginning... We said where two or more are gathered. So it can be a church full of a thousand people. When they agree and say, uh, we have tried our best to, to, to work with this brother. He's not repenting. Let him be treated like a tax collector or uh, a Gentile. Then uh, Jesus Christ's father in heaven will do, will grant them with his blessing what they've asked for <clears throat> now jesus goes on to say for where two or three are gathered in my name there i am among them so basically what this uh verse is saying is that Jesus Christ uh, superintends over judicial matters in the church of Christ, in his own church, on matters of church discipline. He's the one who is there to bless that occasion, to superintend over it, to sanction it, 
And of course, it is true that where, you know, where the church is gathered, Jesus Christ is there. But here in this immediate context, I, I hope you now see the bigger picture. That this is actually talking about church discipline. This is talking about excommunication. This is talking about how we ought to live in the kingdom of God. And that, the, in fact, here, listen to this. For where two or three are gathered, this, this seems to suggest that those two or three are actually uh, representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. They stand in the place, not as in that they are, they, they are the Lord himself, but it is as if uh, the Lord is the one now who is, you know, empowering them. He has given them the power to be able to sanction church discipline. So you even got people who ask you, so why do, why do you discipline us? Do you are you God? Oh, you know, I you you are also a sinner. You know, who gave you the authority to even think about excommunicating some someone? All oh, these churches, all oh, that, that this is what unbelievers say and this is what some Christians say. But bear in mind folks, the Lord Jesus Christ himself I mean, I can quote scripture all day about, you know, how the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, how the Lord Jesus Christ empowers his church, how the Lord Jesus Christ has given his church elders, has given his church um, leaders, shepherds, uh, uh, to shepherd the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not under compulsion, not for sordid gain, as Peter writes in First Peter chapter 5, but, you know, with fear and trembling, knowing that one day they will give an account of what they were supposed to do. And so, friends, that is what the verse actually means. It is about church discipline. It's got nothing to do with uh, low attendance in church. It's got nothing to do uh, with, you know, when you pray and say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're two or more gather. Whilst that is true, that is a misapplication of scripture. <clears throat> and just to round it off, um, Matthew chapter 18 itself, the whole chapter, really talks about... Uh, the church of God, the church of Christ, and really how the church is to love one another. You know, the, you get the, the temptations to sin. For, you know, the first, the first uh, few verses, um, the disciples asked who was the greatest, and Jesus had to explain to them, say, listen, the kingdom of God, the church of God is not about competition and all that stuff. Um, you know, the greatest is the one who receives um, or who becomes like, a, like children, you know, who, who, who's got childlike faith. And then uh, Jesus continues and talks about temptations to sin, uh, where he says, woe to the world for temptations to sin, etc., etc. And, you know, the parable of the lost sheep. And then he goes on to church discipline 
there if your brother sins against you. And the parable of the unforgiving servant. And that is a, in fact, that is a great, one of the great discourses in the gospel according to Matthew. It sits right there just before the Lord Jesus Christ does, uh, you know, has the triumphal entry, cleanses the temple, uh, starts talking about the end times, signs of the end, uh, the end of um, of time, and the crucifixion, uh, the Great Commission uh, will come afterwards as the fifth uh, great um, teaching. So, actually, what you can say about where this text is is really one of the final marching orders of the church for the Lord Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus Christ. The final instructions on how Christians should live on this earth and live with each other in the context of a local church. Amen. That is our sort of, uh, you know, explanation of that text. Um,